Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. This is not right versus left. It's tyranny versus democracy. I'm Jessica Denson, and this is Lights On. We have a great opportunity in this moment to choose sides. And choose we must. They're going to make it easy for us in Georgia, where a fearless Fonnie Willis is ready to go in every possible way and will not be stopped. And we now know that Donald Trump's criminal trial will be televised for all the world to see. So these are our choices. On one side, a four-time indicted con artist who already tried once to overthrow American democracy is at it again, and he leads the field. A GOP field that lacks all credibility for its collective failure to condemn him, not to mention their own shameless embrace of fascism. From Tennessee to North Carolina and Wisconsin to Kentucky, Republicans in power are hell-bent on silencing opposition and defying the will of the people. We're going to shine a bright light on all of that. On the other side, President Joe Biden is leading a masterful economic recovery. The August jobs report is the latest sign that Biden is steering us away from recession to the soft landing that everybody is hoping for all while rebuilding infrastructure, bringing back manufacturing, improving the lives of veterans, defending fundamental freedoms, and so many more accomplishments that he never gets enough credit for. Again, for any serious patriot in this moment, the choice is crystal clear. We can be so grateful that we still have the opportunity to make the distinction and stand on the right side of history, and history has so many lessons for us. Today is the 84th anniversary of Nazis Germany, Ger Nazi Germany's invasion of Poland, the beginning of World War II. The Germans failed to defeat the rise of fascism in their ranks until it consumed them. We can and must do better. There's so much evidence that democracy and justice succeed when we invest in them. One beautiful example is the case of election workers Shay Moss and Ruby Freeman, who won a massive victory this week in their case against Rudy Giuliani. Those women deserve every good thing coming their way many times over, so we're definitely going to shine a light on them. Truth wins. We just have to side with it. Today, I'm joined by someone who's made a very definitive choice to side with truth in his own life and career former Republican, former prosecutor, and newly minted editor-in-chief of Midas Touch, the network that we are on, Ron Feldkowski. Ron, welcome to Lights On. Thanks for inviting me, Jessica. I really appreciate it. I'm so, so glad to finally meet you and have you here with me. You know, Ron, I write these intros uh, to the show, but I was tempted today to just totally hijack a column um, by Philadelphia Inquirer columnist Will, Will Bunch because I thought he really hit the nail on the head. He had a piece earlier this week saying, journalism fails miserably at explaining what's really happening in America. I think we're doing a much better job of that on this network. 
but he he described what he called as horse race coverage of Trump in this moment when it's really not about an election. This is about authoritarianism. We cannot cover this as a traditional horse race, can we? No, yeah, that you're absolutely right. Um, you know, trying to treat him just like he's any other political candidate or any other presidential candidate is crazy uh, because if you pay close attention to Donald Trump, as I do, and listen to what he says and listen to what he says he plans on doing, you realize that putting him back in office for a second term, it really would look nothing as bad as the first term was. It, the second term will be 100 times worse because there'll be no restraints on him. Uh, there'll be none of the checks and balances. He's figured out how to get around the system and the people that he's going to bring in and appoint to senior positions if he wins are a scary bunch of people. They are very scary. And I happen to know some of these individuals personally because I worked with them in 2016. Um, some of them were they were called out as beings, people who should not be in public service at all during the Trump administration. And they were brought back in that last month of Trump's presidency when he was installing people in acting positions. And they are very scary because they're the kind of people who are just um, willing to do anything, who have no guardrails and are willing to do anything to um, satisfy his quest for power and, and by extension their own. Um, so you're right, Ron, they're absolutely the most dangerous people. And and his first his first term was a dry run. If God forbid he gets that chance again, it is it could be the end of American democracy as we know it. I think so. I mean, you saw with the turnover. I mean, what do you have? Uh, four press secretaries, five chiefs of staff, four secretaries of defense, four attorney generals. You know, just he, he kept con every time somebody would say no to him. Or, or check him from being able to do something crazy that he wanted to do, he fired him. And, and this happened time and time again. So, yeah, that's why he's so dangerous. When, when he goes, he, and he said that um, many times since leaving office, that his greatest mistake as president was not bringing in people who were completely loyal to him, bringing in outsiders, people he didn't know so well on the recommendations of others. So, and I believe it. Now the people he he plans on going with are his henchmen, as as you as you said, the people who have been around him, the loyalists, the people that are at Miralago, at Bedminster, in his orbit. And and these are they're not qualified for their positions. Their sole qualification is their loyalty to Donald Trump and their willingness to do anything he wants. Yeah. Absolutely. And this and this is the thing about this Republican field, even the ones who call out the election transgression. OK, even the ones who have clarity on the issue of January 6th. And we're going to talk for, in a minute about Brian Kemp in Georgia. Um, even those do not speak about the broader authoritarian overtones of his entire his entire presidency leading up to January 6th. I mean, um, the fact that he did what he did in the final hours um, was just that was just, you know, the last hurrah for him. I mean, the, the, his whole presidency was an assault on democracy. So in, in my mind, that's why I, I think not only um, their failure to condemn the ones who are who won't condemn him on January 6th really disqualifies them, but their broader failure to condemn his entire authoritarian overreach that he showed to all of us during his presidency. Yeah, I mean, he ended his presidency with 
the attorney general resigning, the secretary of defense being fired, um, every single deputy assistant um, attorney general threatening to resign, except for Jeffrey Clark, every member of the White House counsel's office threatening to resign. Uh, that that's how he concluded his presidency. So, yeah, it's a it's an absolute nightmare. And and by the way, all of those people who threatened to resign were Trump appointees. They were they were Trump loyalists, and and, and they felt so strongly about what he was trying to do that they that they threatened to walk out of the job. This, and this is even before January sixth. This is between the election and January sixth. So, yeah, it's um. It's an absolute nightmare. And, and you take that a step further. He's talking about invoking Schedule F and and firing 40,000 federal civil servants, career civil servants, um, and and just wiping out whole departments um, in, in Washington and, and replacing them. He, he, he said he's already been compiling lists of thousands of people to put in these jobs that are so political people that he's going to bring in from around the country into D.C. and put in the place of career civil servants at State Department, DOJ, Department of Defense, you name it. It's extremely, extremely frightening. Um, I want to get your reaction, uh, as especially as having been a prosecutor who worked in the state of Georgia, to um, Brian Kemp's press conference yesterday, which was um, a surprise to some. He was responding to the Republican, the GOP uh, legislature in Georgia, threatening to invoke this new law that they passed and that he signed that gives the Republican legislature the power to remove prosecutors, I would say, it's targeting black prosecutors and predominantly, um, you know, majority black districts for under the cover of um, going after prosecutors who are not tough enough on crime. But um, they had they had been pushing him to call a special session to try to oust Fonnie Willis. And this is his reaction. Uh, I did want to take just a few minutes to speak to some history that's trying to repeat itself over the last few days here in Georgia. Uh, many of you will recall that in the final weeks of 2020, I clearly and repeatedly said that I would not be calling a special session of the General Assembly to overturn the 2020 election results because such an action would have been unconstitutional. It was that simple. Fast forward today, nearly three years later, memories are fading fast. There have been calls by one individual in the General Assembly and echoed outside of, the, of these walls by the former president for a special session that would ignore current Georgia law and directly interfere with the proceedings of a separate but equal branch of government. Up to this point, I have not seen any evidence that D.A. Willis's actions or lack thereof warrant action by the Prosecuting Attorney Oversight Commission but that will ultimately be a decision that the commission will make. Regardless, in my mind, a special session of the General Assembly to end run around this law is not feasible and may ultimately prove to be unconstitutional. The bottom line is that in the state of Georgia, as long as I'm governor, we're gonna follow the law and the constitution, regardless of who it helps or harms politically. Over the last few years, some inside and outside of this building may have forgotten that, but I can assure you, I have not. 
the oath I took with my hand on the Bible that's right behind me in January of 23 is the same Bible that I took in my inauguration in 2019. And in Georgia, we will not be engaging in political theater that only inflames the emotions of the moment. We will do what is right. We will uphold our oaths as public servants. And it's my belief that our state will be better off for it. What's your reaction to that, Ron? Well, I mean, there's a, I watched that live and um, there's a lot going on here. Um, you know, um, for one thing, as an aside, the 2028 Republican primary is going to be very interesting between Brian Kemp, Glenn Youngkin and Ron DeSantis. Those three <laughs> Southern Republican governors, I think, are all running in 2028, by the way, uh, assuming, you know, Trump loses and goes away, which hopefully will be the case. Um, so you see there, Brian Kemp, once again, unlike some of the other governors standing up to Donald Trump. And, you know, if all if Kevin McCarthy had done this in 2021 and and all of the other Republican leaders in Congress or, or and governors around the country, we wouldn't be in the position that we're in right now. It's, it's their fault that we're in this situation, that they couldn't manage their own problem. And they're look they're actually looking to us for us to to rid them of their Donald Trump problem for them because they don't have the guts and the courage to do it themselves. But, you know, Trump, uh, first of all, a couple things in Florida, we've seen two prosecutors removed by Ron DeSantis. OK, because they crossed him and he didn't like them, both Democrats. Um, so you see in Georgia that law, they don't have the governor doesn't have that power. Uh, it's a commission where they have a hearing first and they have due process and all of that. So, you know, even though there's this thing that was put in to remove them, at least there's some due process instead of in Florida where the governor can just remove you and you get a trial in six months in the Senate. Um, the other thing, the last thing I'll say is, um, you know, Donald Trump tried to punish Brian Kemp for his position in the 2020 election by running former Senator David Perdue against him. He endorsed him. He coaxed him into running. What happened? Kemp beat him by 52 points. So, you know, Kemp's, Kemp's uh, dealing from a position of strength right here. Uh, with respect to dealing with Trump. Yeah, I see. I see Brian Kemp's reaction as very, uh, like you said, there's a lot of layers there. And um, he's he's got a lot of hostility towards Trump for costing Georgia those two Senate seats are, yeah. uh, you know, I, I like to think that all of the uh, the people that that on the ground are responsible for the Democratic victories, but also Donald Trump sure did help them a lot. Yeah. Um, by telling them that voting didn't matter. Um, right. So there's a lot of there's a lot of personal resentment from Brian Kemp, I think, more than actual courage and integrity. Um, and, and we cannot forget that, you know, right after 2020, while Brian Kemp personally rebutted Trump, he instituted all these ro rollbacks on voting rights and women's rights. Um, he's he's been a very, um, you know, bad for freedom in the state of Georgia. So um, just, you know, put that all into perspective. Sure. Um, 
But the other the other really great thing that we got confirmed out of Georgia this week, and I hope I hope they follow suit in the federal cases, is um, the fact that we now know the trial will be televised. To me, this is is so vital because um, it means that as much as Donald Trump's lawyers want to play this in the media and concoct some gaslit narrative about what's really going on, um, they won't be able to do that. People are going to see this live streamed in real time and get the facts straight from the courtroom. And I do think that that's really, really important because, look, the, the Trump campaign is largely about these trials, uh, that he's made this a central, that he's being persecuted and all of this, a central part of his campaign. And so this is a, a if the American people are to judge whether whether he's right, whether these charges are all bogus and a witch hunt and everything's rigged, they should be able to watch it themselves and not take our word for it or take Fox News's word for it. Um, my my hope, though, is that the federal case, which is going to trial in March, which will which will probably be his first case that goes to trial, will be televised. And I know there are some groups, some media groups and other nonprofits that are going to push very hard uh, to have that federal trial televised. There, there are, there is a way to do it, even though federal trials are not televised generally. Um, I think that they have a strong case to make for that trial to also be televised, which would be fantastic. Yeah, I think it's in, in the interest of the whole country because the whole country is, is the victim of this. It's like a victim's rights issue. Exactly right. Yeah. And, you know, who else wants it te televised, by the way, are Trump supporters. Yeah. I mean, they, they want it te televised as well because they think it's going to help them. A hundred percent. Yeah, I think they think it will. And I think much like the January 6th hearings where, you know, everybody's always out there saying the Trump cult can be moved. And, and I'm always out here saying, oh, no, yes, they can. Um, you know, so much of public opinion was swayed by those televised January 6th hearings. And you better believe the same thing is gonna happen in these trials. Public opinion will be swayed. There is nothing more powerful than to, to move this seemingly unshakable cult than rebranding Donald Trump as the criminal that he is. You know, take the example of the OJ trial, where, you know, if you poll most Americans today who watched the trial, the overwhelming majority believe he, he's guilty even though the verdict was not guilty. So, I mean, because they saw the trial. So, so it's not like they have to accept whatever, you know, that those 12 jurors decided because they saw it for themselves. So, yeah, and this is even more important as far as from a public interest perspective than that by far. 100%. Uh, another, on, on this theme of justice, another trial that is making extraordinary progress this week, as I mentioned in the open, is the case of Shea Moss and Ruby Freeman the election workers who were so viciously defamed by Trump and Giuliani and others. Um, they have a, a multi-pronged defamation lawsuit. Uh, Giuliani is one of the defendants. Um, they've already, if you don't remember anybody watching, had a, a victory settlement with OAN. And even before all of those kind of landmark Fox settlements, OAN settled with Ruby and Shay, And as a result of that, was forced to make a correction on air. So these women have really um, had so 
much success. I'm so proud of them and and grateful. Um, I kind of have a little bit of, of personal pride because we share a legal team. Two of the lawyers on my case, John Langford and uh, Brittany Williams also represent them. So I'm, you know, I, I'm just, I'm so grateful that these women are, um, are getting what's what's so due to them. This week, the judge actually in the case against Giuliani ruled that because of his own admissions, he's basically given up uh, any claim that he his statements against them were true and, and conceded that they were false. And based on that, that Trump um, ruled without a trial that this case can go straight to damages. And she's already sanctioned, um, Judge Beryl Howell in federal court has already sanctioned Giuliani to pay roughly $132 in sanctions. Um, for failure to to hand over re relevant information in the process of this trial. Um, but it's it's wonderful success for these women who have endured so much and 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 fought back to defend not just their own personal lives, but the greater cause for truth. Yeah, it's so important for victims of these things to fight back and to use the courts. We saw that with the Sandy Hook. You know, parents with um, Alex Jones, um, you know, and and uh, two more examples here. There are other people who have sued J6 defendants. Um, there are people who have sued over vaccine disinformation, all this kind of stuff. It's very important. And I can tell you this, the 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 hard right, the far right who still continues to do this stuff. I mean, they still continue to smear these these two women as well. Um, they they're afraid of the courts that that's the one thing they fear you know they always think they're going to win every election and and they and they think they're going to win every street protest but the one thing they're they've they've come to fear at, and they fear it even more seeing these january 6th defendants being sentenced to 15 17 18 years they they fear the courts and um and so i think that i mean you look at what happened with fox having to fire all those people, fire Tucker Carlson, pay 787 million. What's happening to uh, Mike Lindell, who's, you know, my pillow is about to go out of business there. He's, he's lost all his money just about. Um, so yeah, the message is being sent that the victims of these kinds of things are going to fight back and fight back in the courts. E. Jean Carroll is another one. And uh, that's a really good thing. Yeah, I just want to take a second here. I know my internet connection is, it, we're having trouble with it. So I want to apologize to our viewers. I'm, we're trying to fix it in real time. This is live, live. So a, a quick apology to our viewers who are seeing me pixelated. I'm really, really sorry about that. In the meantime, while we continue to work on that, let's play a clip from my lawyer, John Langford, who I mentioned also represents Ruby and Shay. I thought he really teed this up beautifully. When there is good news, like today's decision, and when there is bad news, the inevitable result is that a bunch of false, vile, harassing messages spew out onto the internet because people still believe these lies for some right. reason. And so I would say Ruby and Shay are still in a place that no one should ever have to be. Um, but that said, Ruby and Shay are two of the most courageous, most inspirational, most heroic, and uh, they have a, a level of perseverance that is is not normal. When anyone else would have gone away, would have taken actions to protect their family, to try to shy away, to lie down, they stood up. Just like they stood up to see an election through, they stood up for themselves. They stood up in 2021. They stood up in 2022. They stood up in 2023. 
So when Judge Howell says today's decision was inexorable, what he, what she is referring to is the inexorable will of two of the strongest women you could ever hope to meet. You agree, yeah? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and and what what happened to them is just horrible. I mean, if you read the RICO indictment, um, you know, having the president call you out on Twitter and on national television, having Rudy Giuliani do that, uh, accused they were accused of um, of uh, using a, a little uh, zip drive to transfer votes. Uh, supposedly, the the water main breaking was done intentionally. That was part of the plot. Um, and you know what they were passing back and forth were was a a, a, a tic tic tacs. <laughs> it wasn't a it wasn't Ginger a flash mint. drive. Ginger mint. Ginger mints or whatever. Yeah. So I mean, it, you know what they went through, and then and then the the minister flying down, going to their house, trying to harass them, talking to the neighbors, wouldn't leave them alone. Um, then you got the, you know Kanye West publicist coming in. Um, you know it was just. It's just horrible. Nobody, nobody should have to endure that. Not to mention, you know, all the stuff that they probably got online and phone calls and all of that. So, I mean, yeah, it's uh, it's horrible. I, hopefully, the damages will be enough. Well, I see Rudy selling his apartment in Manhattan, which is his last big asset that he has, and uh, hopefully, they can use that to pay off his judgment. Yeah, really. I saw a. I saw an article um, this week that was shared by Ruth Benjiat. I don't think she was the author, um, but it was about how strong, you know, how a very common thread of authoritarianism is that these foot soldiers like Giuliani, like Mark Meadows, in the end, they get hung out to dry. I mean, these could be, if MAGA was listening and picking up these cues, some of the highest profile examples of how doing everything, all of the bidding for Donald Trump in the end gets you nowhere, you lose your house, you lose your apartment, you lose your money, and you're all alone. This is, um, you know, it's a mass destruction kind of enterprise that anybody who is still siding with him could could learn from. You know, that's why it was so startling to hear the phone call between him and Raffensperger, because usually Donald Trump uses third parties as you know, to do his dirty work, you know, he would normally have Meadows or Rudy or somebody in, you know, in between him and, and that phone call um, doing his dirty work for him, Lindsey Graham, somebody like that. But in this particular case, I think he was so desperate and, and the time frame was so compressed that he felt like he had to do whatever he had to do uh, to, um, to, to pull this off. So he got himself into trouble. Of course, he also didn't know he's being recorded and he was furious about that, you know? Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a great, it's a great thing that they push back. And, and, um, and, you know, it was funny because I, I heard an interview of Rudy when he filed his response to their motion for summary judgment and how he was bragging about how he outfoxed her lawyers and, you know, how he had some big convoluted legal theory that he supposedly argued, but obviously the judge didn't agree. Yeah, absolutely not. And you look at you look at like the violence and the threats that or the threats of violence that these women have endured, the real threats that is coming from the MAGA side, from the right wing echo chamber that is really spurred on by lies and hatred. And then 
you look at somebody, this, this, I listened to this and I'm not playing it on here. So sorry, folks, no Tucker Carlson on lights on, but Tucker Carlson is out there literally trying to frame the legitimate prosecutions of Donald Trump as a, as the beginning of an attempt or the beginning of the end game that is assassination. Yeah. Like this is teeing up to what pe people wanting to assassinate Donald Trump. And this is so dangerous because it it's fear mongering that is going to stoke reactive sort of violence to these suggestions. Yeah, he's not the only one. But yeah, you're right. He said that in his interview uh, the other day with um, he said it in hung no, not not his Hungary interview. It was some it was somebody else. But but he did say it this week uh, that he predicted that they would try to assassinate Trump. He's also talked about the fact that he believes he's going to be assassinated himself. So these guys are all very paranoid. Um, but he, yeah, he's certainly not the only one. Donald Trump has said that before. Um, uh, he's he's tossed that around recently as well. So, yeah, what he's trying to do, what they're trying to do is basically tell the cult, you know, is you know, that they're, they're after us, you know, they're trying to take out our leaders. So you guys have to do something first to save them. And, you know, they're trying to put all this and they're also calling for prosecutors. Trump is doing this as well. Local DAs who are Republicans around the country to indict Joe Biden or some of these other people for the border or, you know, whatever else they can think of. So, you know, it wouldn't shock, it wouldn't shock me, although it, it basically be setting your law license on fire for some local DA somewhere to get crazy and, and try and do something like that. What I, I want to move on, like I said, to kind of this extremism out of, out of the GOP, where they have power in these red states. Um, earlier this week, Ron, I did an interview with Gloria Johnson of the Tennessee three after this really just jaw-dropping and horrific special session wrapped. It was it was a special session that governor, the Republican Governor Lee agreed to hold because of, of demands from the families of Covenant after those six individuals, six, three children, three adults were slaughtered at that school uh, back in March. And it, it was no serious session on gun violence. It was morphed into this um, very tepid conversation about quote unquote public safety. And more so than that, it was a disgusting show of the extremes that these Republicans are willing to go to to silence dissent. They instituted these insane rules where um, the Democratic members who were trying to speak and debate were ruled out of order and silenced Justin Pearson, who was previously expelled from the Tennessee legislature um, in this very fascist manner, was himself cut off when he was trying to call up a vote of no confidence of their Republican speaker, Cameron Sexton. Um, Justin Pearson, the other one who was unceremoniously expelled, uh, was shoved by the speaker. Um, it's on camera towards the end of this. He, he denies it, but it's it's right there for everybody to see. Um, the moms, the covenant moms were denied the right to even bring signs into the House chamber. People, proud boys were present. People were allowed to come into the capital, the Tennessee capital, with guns, but not with signs saying that this uh, gun reform had to happen and something had to be done to protect kids. So these are this is the insanity happening in places like Tennessee, where there's a Republican supermajority, and people are absolutely fed up 
about this. Um, one clip we do have is of one of the Covenant moms towards the end of the session when nothing got done. Think of it! I have done! I have held my composure. I have stayed calm. I have been silent and quiet and composed. And I am sick of it. Listen to me. I am a pleading mother. I don't want any one of you to feel what this feels like. It is horrible. They saw the bodies. Kids massacred by high capacity. Automatic rifles. Do you know what that does to a child's body? Because the nine-year-olds know what it does to a child's body. Thank you so much. And a lot of those moms used to be Republicans or are Republicans. Yeah. Um, you know, they're the two issues that Republicans are losing. Moderate suburban independent women are over abortion and guns. And, and this really highlights it. I mean, Tennessee just threw their gun laws wide open, you know, to where you can you know, be in schools and then the Capitol and openly carry firearms, no permits, no background checks. It's just anything goes like the Wild West. And, you know, these moms have had enough and they're pushing back. So the this special session started day one. Reporters showed up in the rotunda and were forced out of the rotunda. They They, they were trying to question representatives as they were walking into the session. And they were all pushed to the side. That had never happened before. Press is always allowed to be in the rotunda during session. So that's the way it started. And then, you know, they had moms forcibly dragged out just simply for holding signs saying kids are more important than guns, you know, dragged out by tr state troopers out of committee hearings. You mentioned Justin getting uh, um, getting shoved by the speaker. And then the speaker gave like a preposterous story afterwards to the press that conflicted with um, with what with the video. So what what you have is you have these states like Tennessee, Florida is another North Carolina where there's a Republican majority, but it's not a huge majority. And it's not like double digit majority in the state. But the legislatures of those states have gerrymandered that the hell out of their states so that they're much more overrepresented. So while they may be 57% of the state Republicans, they're 70% of the legislative seats because of the way they've gerrymandered things. And that has allowed them to, to take measures and to do things that uh, don't reflect the, the population of the state's views on these issues. And uh, hopefully it, it's gonna come back to bite them in 2024. Yeah, I hope so. That's what I always say is these moments are opportunities to totally turn the tide on these people that have that have, you know, so shamelessly attacked, attacked the democratic system. You know, speaking of gerrymandering, another one of the examples that I was going to give is what's happening in Wisconsin, where mm -hmm. um, Janet Protasewicz was just elected 
just elected by 11 points, 11 point victory to the Supreme Court of Wisconsin, um, giving liberals a one seat majority. This was obviously a referendum election. I mean, this is what the voters of Wisconsin wanted, particularly because of the issue of gerrymandering. Wisconsin is one of the most gerrymandered states in the country. And now, now that there is this liberal justice, Janet Protasewicz, on the high court in Wisconsin, the Republican legislature is threatening to impeach her for not recusing from the very cases that she was elected to hopefully hear. Yeah, this goes back to your point on Brian Kemp, because, you know, Speaker Robin Voss in Wisconsin, who's behind this move, um, Donald Trump hates him because Voss stood up to him on the 2020 election and refused to do the same kinds of things he was trying to get Kemp to do. So Voss did the right thing on the election, but then, you know, like Kemp, but then turns right around and, and here you go on, you know, when when something comes into his backyard, you know, he he's now non-democratic. So, you know, I guess he wasn't willing to. um to burn the constitution for Trump, but he'll do it for himself. So yeah, you're absolutely right though. This justice, we just had an election on this. We had a referendum on this exact issue and people of Wisconsin overwhelmingly wanted her in there. So this is another example of a gerrymandered state where Republicans are way overrepresented in the legislature from the population of the state. And um, they're flexing their muscle yet again. I mean, trying to, force a supreme court if if you're if you're going to ignore the supreme court of your own state then then there's no more law yeah i wish i was at the end of this example of fascist attempts to overthrow the will of the people by the gop but i actually have two more that are really really appalling um one of them is in the state of north carolina where there is a, a black woman who also sits on the high court and her name's Anita Earls. And she made some very honest comments about the lack of diversity in, in the courtroom um, and how, um, you know, just some very clear, honest observations about racial bias. And because of this, New North Carolina state Republicans are trying to remove her by the use of this um, very Republican stacked judicial quote unquote ethics committee. So they're now going after um, the only black, or maybe she, I don't know, I don't want to say that for sure. I don't know that she's the only, but a black female jurist on the Supreme Court in North Carolina for simply identifying the fact of racial bias. Because, you know, the courts are the check on naked authoritarian political power. And and thankfully, we saw that in 2020 when Donald Trump, you know, in 60 different courtrooms around the country, tried to overturn the election and every judge told him no and stood up to him, including his own appointees. Right. Stood up and told him no. So I think the Republicans have now figured out that the main check on their authoritarian authoritarian predisposition is the courts, the judges. who, And so they're going after them now. They're going after prosecutors and judges because that right now, that's their biggest, uh, that's, that's the only thing stopping them from, from doing what they, what they, what they want to do. Yeah, it is. And there's another, another story that 
you were very familiar with and we brought it up before we hopped on here live. Um, I, there's a lot of talk now about Mitch McConnell because of his obvious um, health issues and what will happen if he retires before the end of his Senate term. And when I was reading about this, I learned another another attack on democracy, which is that Republicans in Kentucky, which obviously has a very heavily Republican legislature, um, when this issue, I guess, came up to them back in 2021, they wrote a law saying that the governor cannot appoint a replacement. Why? Of course, because they have a Democratic governor, Andy Bashir, and they wanted to deny him that opportunity. So there is now a law which he vetoed, but they overruled with their majority um, that says that a, a special committee, that it will be of the same party members as the retiring incumbent. So of course, Republicans will choose three potential replacements and the governor then has to pick from those three. Yeah, so I followed this in real time as it was unfolding, and it really started in 2020. And what, if you recall, Mitch was up for re-election. Um, he had a, a very well-funded Democratic opponent, um, McGrath, Amy McGrath. Yeah, Amy McGrath, um, who was a moderate Democrat. Um, and the main one of the main arguments against him was his age and his health. And a lot of Kentucky Republicans were concerned about that because Kentucky has a very popular Democratic governor, very likely to be reelected this next year again, um, a potential future presidential candidate, by the way, for the Democratic Party, Andy Bashir, uh, who not enough people talk about. So I try and talk about him as much as I can because I think he's one of the rising stars of the Democratic Party that doesn't get noticed enough. So they knew that they, the Republican Party and Mitch McConnell, the Republicans were saying, maybe we should run somebody else, Mitch, maybe you should step aside. So to placate them, they hatched this plan during the 2020 campaign and McConnell assured them, let me be the nominee, let me run and you know, we'll, we'll change the law, we'll change the Kentucky constitution. And basically, well, they changed the, they changed the statute. And how it works in just about every state, if not every state, is, of course, the governor appoints somebody to fill out the seat for the remainder of the term, whoever they want. But And, and we saw that, for example, like um, in Alabama with Doug Jones got appointed um, and, and was a Democrat and filled out his term, who was not elected. So um, we've seen this many times before. Um, so here you have a situation where you know, Andy Bashir, they know is going to appoint a Democrat. So they rig it. They rig the game. And, and the rules in Kentucky now are, you know, it has to be you the, the party, the state party, Republican Party nominates three names that they choose. And Andy Bashir must appoint one of those three uh, to fill. So they're all going to be, you know, Mitch McConnell clones. So so basically the, they took away the power of the governor to a point who he wants to fill that seat. When Republican voters are exposed to the extremism, um, they, they start to realize who really represents their interests. I mean, when you look at issues like the gun issue in Tennessee, when you look at issues like abortion that get such, um, you know, people do not want women's rights to be stripped of them, even in places like Ohio and, and Kansas, the more people are educated 
the more they find out that the Democrats are not, in fact, trying to burn down the country like Fox News and OAN is constantly telling them and that they're they're actually the party of freedom. Yeah, well, you make a good point. I mean, you know, if you watch Fox News every day, as I do, you know, I'm on their website every day. I watch their shows. I mean, you would just think that America is this hellscape, you know, of carnage where there's just crime and and poverty. And, you know, it, it's basically, you know, presenting the news of the United States the way Vladimir Putin would want it presented. Um, and and it's and it's all also focused constantly on all these stupid culture wars. You know, their their big story today is over the beer you know, recommendations and tomorrow it'll probably be over, you know, Skittles or Mr. Potato Head. You know, they're always looking for some silly culture war issue to uh, to drum up. So so it's a combination. If you're a Fox News consumer, it's a combination of, you know, Donald Trump mania uh, um, and and a lot of this other culture war nonsense. And uh, it's just it, it, it and, and a lot of crime, you know, of, of they're playing on a loop. And uh, you immigrant stuff. And uh, so, yeah, you get a distorted picture of what America is really like. You know, I I mentioned at the top of the show Biden's job numbers. And I think that this is another thing that we need to highlight as as much as possible, because even like I said, that Republican field, even the ones who will condemn Trump are trying to get the rest of the country to think that, um, you know, that Joe Biden is evil and is trying to burn down this country. And really, the fact of the matter is he's leading us to this, this soft landing, this um, avoiding a recession. 187,000 jobs were created in August. He continues to just shatter records as far as job creation. I think he's created more in two years than any president in a four-year term. Um, And it's really important for people to understand that um, and and understand it's not just, it's not like I hear so many people say, we have no good choices. I'm like, bullshit. We have an excellent choice in Joe Biden. Yeah, the positive news is really, really important. And, And it's becoming increasingly harder for republicans to explain the good news away you know i uh, trump responded to the job numbers saying that biden the biden's economy is still running on the fumes of what i created <laughs> i mean that sounds pretty ridiculous 3 years in you know um so it's kind of a, a lame argument um and 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 it becomes in- And the other argument that they made was, well, you know, a lot of these jobs were just coming back from people who lost their jobs from COVID. Well, that that's completely untrue as well. Those jobs all came back a year and a half ago. Um, These are all brand new jobs. And so uh, I'm 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 glad that there I think that the news is going to continue to get better and better economically as we move. People forget. I mean, in 2021 was a nightmare. We had global supply chain issues. We had issues with global gas prices, inflation. These weren't problems in the United States. They were problems in every country all over the world caused by the pandemic. And war. the war in, between Ukraine and Russia caused a lot of issues as well. So as we're coming out of all of that now, you were really, and, and some of the policies that the Biden administration has put in, you're really gonna seeing the recovery hitting full stride. Perfect timing too you know, a, a year, a year and change out from the election. 
Yeah, it is perfect timing. And, um, you know, we need we need all I, I think that there's every reason in the world for it to be another landslide victory for Joe Biden. But we can't use uh, there can never be enough help in this because they their tactics are not fair. They do not play fair, um, as we so uh, disgustingly saw on January 6th and leading up to it. So um, it's it's a great great news to to be carrying forward and to highlight more and more as we lead up to the election. Um, I wanted to just talk with you, Ron, for a minute, because we both come from, <laughs> you say you escaped the Republican asylum. I escaped the Trump asylum. And, um, and you know, I think we have that in common. Another thing that we have in common that I learned when, in our little discussion before this is you were telling me about who you voted for or didn't vote for in 2016. Tell me about that again. Yeah, well, I, I didn't vote for Trump. You know, I, I never supported Trump, partly because I knew I knew him very well going back to the 1980s. Um, my first kind of dealing with Donald Trump was I was a big football fan and I was a fan of the U.S. Football League. And Donald Trump, which is how he met Herschel Walker, by the way, bought the New Jersey Generals in 1985, which was one of the teams um, which had Herschel Walker on it, who was the Heisman Trophy winner. And that's how the two of them connected. And Donald Trump and, and the league was, it was struggling, but it was pretty going fairly well. They were trying to compete with the NFL, but they were doing football in the spring. And Donald Trump proceeded over the next year to do everything that he possibly could to destroy and ruin and wreck the league, which he did. He, he basically convinced the other owners to switch the league season from the spring to the fall to go head to head up against the NFL, which was an incredibly ridiculous, foolish business decision. But Donald Trump was the driving force behind that. And, and literally within a year, the league was, was toast. It was folded up. So that was the first time, I sort of came across dealing with or paying attention to who Donald Trump was, was in 1985. So, and it didn't get any better after that. I sort of always viewed him as the charlatan con, con man, not a true conservative, not even really a Republican. He kind of pretends to be whatever he needs to be. Um, so I, I never supported him and never would have supported him. I supported Rubio in the primary. So when he got the nomination, I, I voted none of the above in the, in the presidential race. Well, I'm going to give our lights on viewers, the ones who have stuck stuck with us through this this uh, very trying technical hour, <laughs> a, a little insight into my voting record that I've never actually shared before. And that is that um, I voted in every single election in my adult life. Leading up to Trump, I always voted for Republicans, with the exception of voting for Barack Obama in the Democratic primary, but I ultimately voted for John McCain for president. In 2016, I did not vote. So although I very tragically and, um, you know, mistakenly supported his campaign and worked for them, by the grace of God, I did not cast a vote for Donald Trump. In 2016, you know, um, I will ask you about that. Yeah, I was going to ask you about yeah. that because like what you just said there, I've said to myself so many times because there were times I would thought, you know, I'll just go ahead and vote for Trump. What the hell? I'm a Republican. I'm loyal. And and probably the people around him will rein him in or 
or he'll grow into the job or something, you know, but then I, I, I always sort of wrestled with it, but then I talked myself out of it. So to this day, I always am so glad because I have much more peace of mind knowing that I didn't vote for him. Do you feel the same way? Like, does that really pop in your head a lot? It does. It is a saving grace to me. I mean, believe me, there's a lot of regret that I have for um, not seeing the signs, not educating my, myself, not letting, listening, listening to my better angels. But um, you better believe that knowing that I did not actually vote for that man um, gives me a lot of peace and I'm very grateful for it. Um, I, like I said, I think it's the grace of God. It happened to be because of the terror that I was experiencing on that campaign, but um, a, a protection for me for, to have never, never cast a vote for that man. And, and every vote since has been for a Democrat. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm and, you know, I in 2020, of course, I, I campaigned openly for Biden. <laughs> I was on billboards, you know, Republicans against Trump uh, billboards all over the country. I, I think I was on four or five uh, on major highways. So <laughs> I heard about that from my Republican friends and family members. That's for sure. But yeah, no regrets. I mean, I lost a lot of friends, you know, family members. We don't talk politics. A lot of them think I've lost my mind, but I sleep very good at night knowing that I never did anything to support that that person. Yeah, you should. And I yeah, I did. a I did an ad for Biden in, in 2022. I was all aboard. I wanted more than anything for people to use use my transitional experience and my experience of being punished by him this authoritarian overreach as an example. And you better believe it. You can take all of the. Uh, you know, those relationships that you might care about, but they, you got to take care of number one first. And it's in that way that you are the best leader. If you are being faithful to your highest sense of right, um, being that example is the best friend that you can really be to any of these people, even if they momentarily don't talk to you anymore. Right. Um, but uh, I wanted to leave us this 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 week was also the 60th anniversary of Martin Luther King's I have a dream speech um, and it continues to give us endless education and lessons and apply now as much as it did 60 years ago. I wanted to leave us Ron with just a quick clip from that I have a dream speech. No, no, we are not satisfied and we will not be satisfied until justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. So let us not be satisfied. Yeah, I taught African-American history for three years um, and um, it, it's uh, and this is a subject that uh, is very important to me because uh, when we're talking about states like um, Arkansas and Florida canceling African American history courses, because one of the things you learn when you take a course like that or you teach a course like that is how much history is and how what incredible contributions to American culture and American history African Americans made from the 1600s to present, not just the civil rights era. And, and, and when you, when you learn that, and when you, when you study King, you know, not just that speech, but 
letter from a Birmingham jail, all, all of the speeches that he wrote. They're probably the best King biography I've ever read. If anybody wants to read it, the reason why I like it is it covers the entire civil rights movement. Although primarily it features King, it covers all of the other people involved as well. Um, is called Parting the Waters by Taylor Branch, and it won the Pulitzer Prize back in the 90s. It's a great book. Um, so, yep. And, and it's also frustrating to me, you know, when Republican politicians try and co-op his message, because if he were alive today, uh, there he would be he would be a, in the forefront. He would be a leader for us, for for Democrats against this authoritarian movement and, and, and a powerful one at that. Amen to that. I'm so glad you brought that up because it is so true that they have no right to co-opt his message when they're literally working against it. Uh, Ron Filipkowski, thank you for joining me on Lights On. Thank you to all of our viewers for your patience during this hour. I hope you um, had as much fun <laughs> as I did, not really, uh, trying to, to juggle all of this technical madness. Um, but definitely check out Ron's, uh, Ron's podcast with our mutual friend, Anthony Davis. Um, I think I can, I can safely say it's going to be now called America Uncovered formerly known as MAGA Uncovered, definitely check that out. And as I mentioned, Ron is now the editor-in-chief for MidasTouch.com and doing lots of writing for the website. Um, so as, as I'm sure all of you already do, follow Ron and, and his work. Um, thank you all this week on Lights On. Uh, if you would like to support my legal efforts, you can do that as always at thejessicadenson.com slash donate, thejessicadenson.com slash donate. I'm so, so very grateful for your support. Definitely, please, <laughs> if you're watching this on YouTube and you want a seamless audio experience, go over to wherever you get your audio podcasts and subscribe to Lights On with Jessica Denson. And if you're listening on audio, come back and see all the fun that we had with this uh, video experience today on YouTube. You can also support us for free all the time just by subscribing, sharing, subscribing to my YouTube page, Jessica Denson, um, leaving a comment, it all helps so much. And I really, really appreciate all of the feedback you give me every week. Um, until next week, as always, let your light shine and have a wonderful Labor Day weekend.